Hey everyone, welcome to Taking the Pulse, a healthcare and life sciences video podcast. I am here in the studio joined by Maynard Nexon healthcare attorney, Lauren DeMoss. Lauren, good to be with you. Thank you so much, Heather. Great to be here. And we are also joined today by Paul Shields. He is the Chief Executive Officer of Fluent, formerly known as PNR Dental Strategies, and he is responsible for the overall strategic direction of Fluent. Paul has a distinguished 40-plus year career spanning the legal business and healthcare markets. He is a former general counsel of Dow Jones Information Service Group and a former executive for several digital health and health information technology companies, including Medscape.com, now part of WebMD, and MayoClinic.com. As a former journalist, I must also mention that when um, Paul was vice president of Dow Jones Interactive Publishing, he led the team that launched the 1996 Wall Street Journal online. Paul, something that I read every morning. Thank you so much for joining us. God bless you and your family for reading the Wall Street Journal. Thanks, so. <laughs> I, I, that is my annual Christmas gift to my father. Um, if you would, please kick us off a little bit telling us about Fluent and the company's history. I'd be happy to. Fluent, as, as you mentioned, is formerly known as PR Dental Strategies. And Fluent is a technology-enabled services company that uses big data and analytics to actually provide business intelligence services, actionable insights to all stakeholders in the dental market. So we started life actually about 26 years ago. It's a pretty interesting story. PNR stands for Paciello and Rose. And Tony Paciello and Rose are two dentists that we're in the business of providing what's called utilization review or claim review to large dental payers. And Tony was at the time a dental director at Aetna and he was responsible for doing utilization review. And, and what that means is that every time a claim, a reimbursement claim comes into a, a dental payer or a health payer, or a medical payer for that matter, the, the, the plan typically selects a portion of those to review to determine whether or not the claim has appropriate medical necessity, or was it properly coded or un uncoded or upcoded, pardon me, or is it outright fraud? So they select those to do. And, and Tony and Diane got the great idea that, and you know, most of the at the time, this is in the early mid-90s, most of the major health and, and dental plans did that so-called utilization review or claim review internally with large staffs. They'd have either dentists or you know, uh, hygienists review the claims and determine whether or not it should be paid or pended. And pended means you know, ask for more information to substantiate the claim or just denied because it was just inappropriate. So Tony got the idea that, listen, we can probably do this much more effectively on the outside. And they had some, some significant macro uh, or regulatory wins in their sales. Because as you, as you may know, insurance companies are, are regulated by the states and the states are the ones that set the rules for you know, um, providing insurance and providing utilization review in their state. And the states have different regulations and it became quite burdensome for a national plan like an Aetna to, to keep track of all of the different rules that regulated claim review. In one state, you needed to have a licensed dentist in that state review the claim. And in some states, you have to, that was called a turnaround time. You have to review the claim within a certain number of days. And they began to differ state by state. So compliance with those regulations became burdensome. 
So Diane and Tony said, listen, we can do this better on the outside. We can take care of all the burdens of compliance with all the 50 state different regulations. And we'll do outsourced claim review on our own as PR dental strategies. And that was 1996. And they did a fabulous job. They actually really created the gold standard of outsourced claim review in the industry. Today, we're still known as that. A significant portion of our business remains claim review. And what they did is they instituted a very rigorous training program for the for the so-called dental consultants. In fact, today I'm at the American Association of Dental Consultants annual meeting, uh, where all the folks who review claims come and learn best practices and the like. And we're a significant employer. We have about 80 uh, dental consultants on our staff. So many of them are here. So that they began uh, life as a as purely a claim review company and did very well. But about 14 years ago, they they hired a, a guy named Mike Urbeck, who remains with the company as president of our new markets. And he, like many of us on the in the, in the company, had come from the medical world, where big data and analytics are second nature. There's large companies like IQVIA, uh, formerly uh, you know, uh, and other companies that provide massive databases or, or leverage massive databases to provide insights to hospitals and doctors and on the medical side. But there wasn't anything like that in the dental world. And so Mike came over and said, listen, Diane and Tony, you know, you are uh, uh, capturing or being sent uh, between five and 6% of a plan's claims every day for review. Uh, if you let me go out and try to convince the plan that they can supply all of their data to us on a monthly basis, we can provide what's called a benchmarking database that all the claims data from all of the, the plans that we're able to you know, accumulate can then be measured against each other anonymously. That's a traditional big data and analytics play. And, and you can imagine how challenging it was for Mike to go out to the very first plan they say, listen, we're going to create a big database and we want you to be the first contributor and give us all your very highly sensitive data that's HIPAA controlled and all kinds of things. Well, to his credit, and one of the real gems of, of Fluence asset base is today we have the largest uh, dental claims database in the industry with about 70 national and regional dental payers contributing data on a monthly basis. And the database in January surpassed 5 billion procedure records. So it's, it's wow. huge. So anyway, the company is a, 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 a both a technology-enabled services company uh, delivering technology-enabled claim review, but we're also what's known in the industry as an informatics or an analytics company providing data-driven insights to payers, dental plans, to providers, you know, dental dentists and DSOs, dental support organizations, uh, and to suppliers, the dental manufacturers, the guys who manufacture the implants and the crowns and the cement. We call that the supplier market or the dental device and distribution market. So in a nutshell, that, that PNR, excuse me, Fluent, uh, is a technology-enabled services company focused exclusively on the dental market that leverages big data and analytics. You know, Paul, talking about what Fluent was doing in the mid-90s was very cutting edge, right, at the time. And, and, and what Mike wanted to do, you know, with taking the claims review outside and then going to these payers. I still think, you know, the dental market is generally considered to be 
kind of behind the medical market in terms of leveraging information technology and data-driven analytics and how to use that, right, effectively to learn and influence changing that, right? And, and, and that's important. How do you think in terms of looking at the different parts of the dental market, the payers, the dentists, the patients, how does this data-driven analytics really impact those different pieces of the dental market? Well, it's a great question, Lauren. And, you know, that's really our mission. Our mission is to is in part to educate the dental market about the value of data-driven decision-making, because unlike the medical space, it's not second nature. I mean, they don't have a history of using big data and insights from benchmarking databases to drive decision-making at any level. So a payer, a dental, a dental plan, uh, sees we, we had to and Diane and Tony and Mike, to their credit, went out when they first developed the database saying, listen, what are the pain points that a big data base with benchmarking data would help you solve in the operations of your, of your, of your plan? And they did a traditional, you know, essentially focus groups and, you know, talked to the various departments in the large plans to determine that there are many pain points that could benefit from benchmarking. So for example, is we have something called the Network Development Man Manager module. And what that does, it, it, it helps the network uh, department in a plan. And as you know, a dental plan like a medical plan has contracted net dentists in their network. And this database, because it contains behavior information, trend information, procedure information about pretty much every dentist in the country, it can help the, the, the network development team in the plan select which dentist should be in their network. Uh, so it's, it, it, it does provide data rather than just opening and believe me, in the old days, they'd open the yellow page and say, how many dentists are in Kokomo, Indiana? And they'd call everyone and ask them to be in the dentist. Well, this database, because it's now, it's got you know 20 years worth of information in it and also behavioral information which dentists, for example, are outliers. That's the term in the industry for overutilization. Do they do too many crowns or too many implants based upon a comparison with their similarly situated colleagues next door? So that's an example of how Fluent can provide insights into the network development team uh, in a plan to determine which, which dentist they should go out and try to you know, contract to be in their, in their network. Absolutely. Similarly, in the in the payer market, that's another um, product of ours is the U utilization management module, which once you're in the network, now we can also actually track how you're doing. Are, are you submitting claims in the proper way? Are you overutilizing? Are you underutilizing? Or are you a perfectly, which 90% of the dentists are, they're perfectly legitimate, submit good claims and get paid timely. But there are some outliers. And as a utilization management tool, which is a software as a service, it's a SaaS-based tool. We provide the, the uh, UM, the utilization management team in the plan, access to this benchmarking database that all enables them to track how their network dentists are doing and they can you know, essentially intervene and say, listen, you're submitting the claims uh, too frequently or improperly or whatever. So it's used as an education tool to make sure that the dentists in the network are behaving properly and, and submitting claims in the proper way. Now, That's another interesting. is uh, for, let's say it's the supplier world, um, meaning a dental distributor or a manufacturer of an implant. Uh, we have data that says, listen, we, we know exactly 
you know, how many implants Dr. Smith did last week or last month. So our supplier business, so-called supplier business, um, enables us to say to a manufacturer, you need to target your sales and marketing efforts to these dentists who actually are involved in the procedure or the category of procedures uh, of the device you're building or you're selling. So we can provide insights to the supplier market in terms of how to target their sales and marketing efforts to the right dentists at the right time. Uh, and that's that's kind of a, a, a critical a critical component. So that's, that's kind of a few examples of how Fluent can deploy its assets to help those target markets use data more effectively. No, I was going to say, you mentioned DSOs, right, as part of the dental service organizations and, and talking about too, it makes me think about you know the supplier market and and how to to get to the dentist and who who's using what and I think the kind of rise of DSOs is a pretty hot topic in the dental market right now. How do they impact the market and utilization and kind of supplier behavior? You know, based on kind of what what you're seeing and and just generally fluent thoughts on the DSOs and how they're impacting the market. Well, you can imagine it's another great question, you know, because of the massive amounts of data we've got. And by the way, our data that's already 5 billion records is increasing at the rate of 1 million procedures per day. So it's 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 growing enormously. So we're able to track not only behavior, but we have an additional database that gets additional data about so-called affiliation data. So we can determine whether or not a dentist is in fact a solo practitioner, a member of a small group, or in fact a member of a DSO, a dental support or service organization, uh, which for those of you who don't know are, are really uh, corporate or private equity backed firms that uh, acquire or build uh, numbers and numbers of, of clinics or, pay, or doctor's offices into a support organization that provides and a uniform back back office services and and access to a group purchasing and, and the like. So some people call it corporate dentistry, but it's 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 a it's a significant um, initiative uh, or development in the dental market. It is a little bit um, misunderstood in my view because we have access to the actual data of how many dentists are actually members of DSOs. And I, I, if you ask a, a, a normal, you know, a significant player in the dental market, what the share of dentists are, are members of DSOs, they'll probably say 30 or 50%, which they, you know, it's, it's way off. We know, based on data as recent as December, that the number of dentists that are affiliated with DSOs is about 10 or 11%. Uh, now, what that means is that there, there are about six DSOs that have more than 500 locations. So there's some very, very large ones and they have a outsized impact on, on the impression of DSOs being significant in the market and, the, and they are. And they're actually more significant in certain geographic regions than others. There are very large DSOs. Uh, they're in fact, the, the top six have more than 500 locations and they are geographically concentrated. So for example, in California, there's a large number of DSOs, Aspen Dental, Pacific Dental. They're very prominent in California. Texas, for example, has a very large concentration of, of DSOs, but in other states, very little. Um, so if you're in Texas, you can think, well, there's a, there's a whole bunch of DSOs that operate the clinics in my state. 
but if you move to a different state, you you see you know a, a whole bunch of smaller practices. In fact, our statistics show that there's about seventy percent of dentists are still in solo practices. So yes, there so there's about you know uh, ten or eleven percent that are members of DSOs. The rest are in between, right? Uh, they're in the you know the two to 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 fifty location you know group, but believe me, almost 70% of dentists are still solo. So that's kind of the dynamic of the market that under, undercuts the notion that DSOs are taking over the world. However, our data, and we do a lot of projections, there's a couple of dynamics that you know we obviously are very sensitive to that are increasing the appeal of dentists joining DSOs. One of which is that I think it's, six, it's 60 something percent of dentists in solo practices are over the age of 60. So they're gonna be deciding what to do hmm. with their dentist. Will they sell it to another solo or will they sell it to a DSO? So that is a factor in our projection of you know, what kind of penetration or concentration DSOs will have in 10 years. Another factor is the expense of dental school. You know, these kids graduating from dental school have huge debt burdens. And DSOs typically provide a very easy path, much more secure than setting up a shingle with, you know, a couple of hundred thousand dollars of debt and going out and hoping the first patient shows up at the door is a challenge for a, a new dentist. So there's a, a kind of a, a both ends of the spectrum dynamic. You're, you're an elderly or, or getting older dentist thinking about retiring and what are you going to do? A DSO sale is, a, is an option. Or if you're a brand new dentist thinking about how in the world you're going to pay your debt off, joining a DSO with a salary as opposed to, you know, earning, you know, patient by patient is also an attractive option. So we predict that in 10 years, the DSOs will have, and again, it's a wide range between 30 and 50% of the market. So it's a, it's a big deal in terms of understanding the dynamics of, of a DSO. And then they, DSOs are, are performing all kinds of valuable services for the dental industry. They're large enough and, and well-financed enough to actually increase technology. Uh, for example, one of the big issues now in healthcare is interoperability and the ability to exchange data between dentists and doctors because many dental conditions are, have direct implications for medical conditions, periodontal disease and diabetes is an example. And the reverse is true. If you have you know, uh, peri you know, diabetes, you better be careful about your periodontal disease. But there's very little interaction between the two data sources, between the doctor and the dentist, because you know, 150 years ago, dent the, dental the dental schools went one way and the medical schools went the other way and they, they don't co-train. So, for example, an, an example of a sophisticated um, technology DSO is Pacific Dental. And they actually recently just adopted a, a formerly known as a medical electronic health record or practice management system called EPIC. And EPIC is a very large player in the healthcare space and the medical space, as Lauren would know. And the DSO's adoption of that record facilitates the interoperability between a dental record and a medical record. Because if you're in an area like Kaiser, for example, Kaiser Permanente is an epic shop. 
and the ability for the dentists in Pacific Dental to share you know, data and information relevant to the medical care of their dental patient with the doctor or the hospital is much easier because maybe both systems are on Epic. So that's just an example of uh, the benefits of a DSO in terms of scale and financial capability. Uh, and it's much more difficult for a solo practitioner to you know, come up with a, a pretty sophisticated EHR or, or you know, dental record platform that can do the same thing. So, so DSOs not only are growing, but changing the landscape in terms of the kinds of innovation and technology that a, a solo practitioner would be hard pressed to match. So it's, it's an important thing to, to, to watch and follow. One last question for you. Another hot topic is artificial intelligence, AI. What are your thoughts on the impact? of your industry? Well, AI is, is huge uh, and, and there are so many applications. We're, we, we are particularly interested in the dental applications, obviously. And, and there, are, there are really three areas. I'll talk about the dental industry in general. And it's, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a very hot topic, a hot topic at this conference. Um, you know, lots of, of talks about what the implications of artificial intelligence are on various aspects of the dental world. So let me, let me talk about three of them. One of which is AI, and there are several vendors in the space or AI companies who've really done a masterful job of, of using artificial intelligence to look at an X-ray, a dental X-ray or, or a health or a medical record X-ray as well. But that because of the sophistication of the technology, the, the uh, compute, so-called computer vision um, segment of artificial intelligence, they can look at an, an X-ray or a radiographic image of a mouth and using what, what are called annotations or learning, you know, machine learning, they can, they can teach the machine to identify potential intervention opportunities. There's a bone loss here on this tooth. There's an emerging caries or cavity on this tooth. And they can do it with rather sophisticated precision uh, and, and they do it for the whole mouth. So that, that for the provider community, meaning the dentists themselves, the DSOs, again, this is still brand new and a lot of the technology needs to be developed more, but the promise is that it will in fact make the review of your X-ray when you go into the office computerized. It will be actually you know, done by AI and assist the dentist or the hygienist in identifying things that would not be as easily identifiable with the human eye, they can actually detect with AI. So in the, the so-called provider or the dental, uh, cl cl the clinical area, AI is an important new tool to assist in the uh, identification of intervention opportunities or problems in teeth. In our world, the insurance world, it can, it, it's a little bit different it, because when a, a reimbursement claim is submitted to a plan, it's only looking at the one tooth that was treated, you know, the procedure on, on tooth number 22. So you don't need the whole, you know, panoply of, of services that an AI image analysis technology can look at the whole mouth. It can also help us as claim reviewers to measure things like bone loss because uh, reimbursement plan of a policy has procedures and guidelines that say, yes, we will reimburse the dentist for this particular 
claim if X, uh, you know, bone loss is a, is a, is apparent or in, in evidence, and a, and an AI tool can measure that with some specificity, uh, and so that's we we are developing our own with a partner uh, called Denti AI that uh, it enables us to combine our own technology, which is a algorithmic based way of looking at which claims to review with AI technology in a way that combines AI and traditional algorithmic review of benchmarking database outlier behavior and the like into a single combination platform. And the, fi the final area is, is really remarkable. In fact, just last week, the Journal of the American Medical Association, you know, JAMA, uh, the internal medicine edition of JAMA published a, a remarkable study that says essentially it's, it's chat GPT, which everyone's talking about now in terms of being able to write term papers and, and essentially you know, uh, do pretty much anything in the written world. Well, it's also a very sophisticated natural language processing technology and data uh, you know, analytics capability. It used, this, the study published in JAMA used chat GPT driven answers to questions from patients. You know, what, 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 what are my uh, uh, symptoms for uh, uh, periodontal, or is it in the medical side? What are, my, what are my symptoms for diabetes? And they compared it, they, they compared the answers that ChatGPT gave to, you know, whatever, some great number of, dent, of doctors who answered the same question. Guess who won? Chat GPT did a better job of answering the question, according to a panel of experts who reviewed, you know, the, the two blinded tests. Here's one from G, Chat GPT, and here's the other answer from a, dent, a doctor. Uh, and uh, overall, the Chat GPT outperformed the human dentist, the doctor, in answering the question. So, AI again, there, there are some you know problems with it, and, and it needs to be refined, but. It's a, it's a tectonic change in every industry, not just the dental industry. So we'll be able to deploy AI and ML, machine learning, not only in the image analysis world, but in analyzing trends and, and uh, you know, indications in our database. I mean, remember, we have a 5 billion record database. So if we unleash you know, uh, AI into the database, we can find all kinds of things that we wouldn't have look, we've looked at before because AI is, enables it to search for things in pattern recognition that we wouldn't we wouldn't even be thinking about in terms of, of pattern recognition. So AI is, is a big deal, a little bit early in in adoption and perfection, but believe me, it's it's going to change a bunch of things. It truly does feel like we're just on the frontier, right? We're just starting to the sun is just starting to rise on what this is going to eventually show us. Yep, it's pretty remarkable. Well, Paul, thank you for joining us. On behalf of Lauren and the whole team here at Taking the Pulse, uh, I have learned a tremendous amount in our time today, and we're grateful for your time, especially giving you are at a conference and traveling. Well, thank you. It's been a delight to talk to you. And let me just give a plug for Maynard Nexon. Uh, Lauren and her team have been extremely valuable to us. We, we've used them actually now for at least my eight-year tenure here. They've been so terrific, having come from a law firm I know what it's like to have a fabulous outside law firm backing you up, and Lauren and her team are just the best. So thanks to Lauren and Major Nexon for a great job supporting uh, Fluent as a, an emerging technology company. Well, thank you, thank Paul. you for that. Fluent is wonderful to work with. <laughs>
So thank you. You bet. Thanks, you guys. Have a great day. Thank you. You too. For those of you who joined us today on Taking the Pulse, we hope you learned a little bit new, more about the dental industry and all the new advances that are happening within providers and DSO and technology AI. There just seems like a wealth to learn. We'll look forward to seeing you next time right here on Taking the Pulse, a healthcare and life sciences video podcast.